Well, it has been a thrill for me, and I hope for you it's been an encouragement as we've worked our way through the book of Ruth these past four weeks, and as we conclude this fifth message with this book, um, I've just... I've just so appreciated how God has spoken and how many of you have communicated how the Lord has met you uh, in very specific ways through this, this wonderful little book. A little girl was talking to her teacher about whales and how she had heard in Sunday school about how a whale had swallowed Jonah. The teacher said it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human because even though it was a very large mammal, its throat was very small. The little girl remained steadfast in her position and reiterated that indeed a whale had swallowed Jonah. Irritated, the teacher again stated that a whale could not swallow a human. It was physically impossible. The little girl said, I'm not sure how it happened, but when I get to heaven, I will ask Jonah. The teacher replied smugly, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? The little girl replied, then you ask him. (laughs) The, The point of the illustration is that without eyes of faith, God's ways often don't make sense. Without eyes of faith, we can't really understand what God is doing. Providence often doesn't make sense, and it fits well into that category that we need eyes of faith to understand or to receive and accept and to live under faithfully God's providence so that what we need is to have eyes of faith that grow when the mysterious providence of God is surrounding us. God's providence in our lives just always does not make sense. It can often seem illogical to us. And like this teacher, we can find ways to dismiss what is true with respect to God's providence because it doesn't fit into our understanding. The book of Ruth, though, helps us to get our arms around God's providence. The book of Ruth helps us to, I think, expand and grow our eyes of faith so that when God's mysterious providence is taking place in our lives, we're able to continue forward, not stumbling, but moving forward with a degree of faith and hope in who God is and what he is doing The book of Ruth is a delightful and it has been a warm story about God's perplexing but perfect providence. And as we saw in chapter one, sometimes God's providence in the life of these individuals can be dark and it can be mysterious. But yet, as you read through the book of Ruth, you see the hesed of God on every page. Daniel Block, and I, and I said this in, in one of the earlier messages, but I want to repeat it so you understand that the backdrop of the book of Ruth is this word hesed, which we get from 
that it's the Hebrew word that we see very, very plainly in Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The hesed of the Lord never ceases. Daniel Block describes the word hesed like this. He says, the depth and range of meaning of the word hesed cannot be captured with a single word. It is a term of endearment and commitment, incorporating all the positive attributes of God, love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, and loyalty demonstrated in acts of devotion, especially toward one with whom one enjoys a family or covenant relationship. We enjoy a covenant relationship with God. We are under the hesed of God. And the book of Ruth is all about the hesed of God. From the dark providence in chapter 1 to the wonderful and warm ending we will see in chapter 4 today. But just by way of review for the past number of weeks, chapter 1, if you remember, an ordinary family from Bethlehem leaves their home. It's a, Bethlehem is in, in Judea. It, this is a family that is an Israelite family under the covenant of God. They are an ordinary family. They're nobody special. And they leave Bethlehem because there's a famine. Now, Bethlehem, the, the name of the town, Bethlehem, literally means house of bread. And in the house of bread, there's a famine. And so rather than trusting God, this family leaves and journeys to another country, to Moab, a country that is in opposition to the Lord. And in leaving their country, in a sense, they do leave God far behind. The choice they make has consequences. And shortly after arriving, Elimelech, the, wife, the husband of Naomi, the father who leads this family to Moab, dies and leaves Naomi a widow. Naomi's two sons, Malin and Kilian, marry foreign Moabite women. And soon after, these two young men die. The providence of God is very dark at this moment in the lives of Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. But as we read along, God begins to reveal himself in ways where his providence brightens in chapter 1. Naomi hears that there is a, a famine no more in Bethlehem because God has visited his people. And so she starts back on the road to Bethlehem with her two daughters-in-law. And partway on the road, she turns and says, look, go into Bethlehem. There's nothing there for you. You're foreigners. There's, a, there's literally no chance that you're going to get married. There's no chance you're going to have children. I don't know how I'm going to be provided for, even though there is food in Bethlehem. Go back to your own people, to your own gods, and get married. Have children. And she prays a blessing on them that they would, that would happen. And so one of the daughters-in-law does turn back, Orpah. But Ruth, in those very famous words spoken at many weddings, says, no, no, where you go, I will go. Where you lay your head, I will lay my head. Your God will be my God. And so Ruth goes with, with Naomi to Bethlehem. And Naomi returns to Bethlehem, but she doesn't return in the same way she left. She left with a husband and two sons. She returns with no husband and no sons. And when she returns, the women of the town greet her, and she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara because my life is bitter. God has made my life bitter. God has made my life empty. 
And that is the close of chapter 1. Chapter 2, Ruth goes out to find foods in the fields outside of Bethlehem and just happens to end up in Boaz's field. As we understand the providence of God, nothing just happens. And then as she is gleaning in Boaz's field, the, foods on the, ed- the food on the edge of the field, Boaz just happens to show up. And he sees Ruth. And it's one of those love story moments, music in the background, and seeing each other from a distance. That's my commentary. <laughs> but we see that God begins to reveal his brighter providence through Boaz to Ruth and to Naomi. And both Ruth and Naomi are provided for by Boaz because Boaz is expressing hesed to these two women. And then chapter 3, Naomi is aware that Boaz is a relative, a distant relative, yes, and a possible what is known as a kinsman redeemer. When a wife lost a husband in, in Israel in those days, there would be the leveret marriage, a kinsman redeemer, a brother would, would be willing to marry the wife who lost her husband so that they would have a child and a son and the family name would go on. And so Naomi is seeing, hey, Boaz could be that kinsman redeemer. He's, he's a relative. And so she sets up this scheme to marry off Ruth to Boaz. And so she gets, them all, she gets Ruth all dressed up with perfume and sure enough, it happens. It, it comes about. Ruth follows the plan and God works providentially in a scheme, in a human scheme, which is amazing. In the weakness of our human frailty, of us trying to decide how we can make God's plan work, God actually uses it. How kind of God. And so Ruth proposes to Boaz. And he says, yes. (laughs) And as the chapter closes, the narrator leaves the audience hanging. Because when, when Boaz says yes to Ruth, he also tells her something that could lay the whole scheme to waste. He said that there is a redeemer that is closer. He said, And in verse 12 of chapter 3, And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you good. Now if you're Ruth and you just proposed to Boaz, that word good doesn't fit. I don't know who this other guy is. I want to marry you, Boaz. And Boaz says, no, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Just lie down, go to sleep, wait till morning. We'll, we'll figure it out in the morning. And so she must wait till the next day to find out how it's all going to work out. Now, surprisingly, Naomi, who, who has been scheming to do all these things and really hasn't trusted God's providential working in her life and in Ruth's life, at the end of chapter 3, says to Ruth when she gets home, says, listen, wait, my daughter, you'll learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. What a change. What a change. 
All of a sudden, she's beginning to at least give, give some trust to the providence of God. Of course, we know how it's all going to work out because we've read the rest of the story. But there's more to this story than a simple love story between Boaz and Ruth. Ruth is a story of redeeming love. Crafted perfectly by the hand of God as he brings about his providence, his hesed in the lives of three very ordinary people. People, though, that he deeply and personally cares about. In chapter 4, God, through the narrator, reveals, I think, the ultimate purpose through this chapter as we meet four redeemers. Four redeemers. Let's begin verse verse 1 of chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken of came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. The first redeemer that we see in this chapter is Mr. No Name. The narrator does not give us the name of this redeemer. He leaves it blank. He just just calls him a redeemer, but he doesn't give us his name. Because here, as Boaz is fulfilling the commitment he made to Ruth the night before that he would settle this matter and that he wanted to, to marry her, he goes to the city gate, and which is the place where all life revolves around at, in Bethlehem, and he, he grabs these elders. But first, it just happens that the Redeemer comes walking by. Remember, happen in this book means providence. In God's providence, this man comes walking by. And so Boaz, Boaz, oh my, what a, what a very shrewd dude he is. Um, and, and look at the narrator in verse 1. And behold, the Redeemer. And so this like great thing just happened. Behold, the Redeemer has just happened. The first in line just happens to come by. God's providence being on display. And, and so Boaz just reaches out to him and says, hey, come on and sit down. Have a cup of coffee. Here, have some falafel or whatever we're eating today. Let's just, let's just hang out together. Oh, and by the way, there, there's some elders over here. Let's call 10 of them over. We're going to have a conversation. So they do. And he turns to this Mr. No-Name. And he says, by the way, did you know that 
our relative Naomi is selling a piece of property. She's selling some land, and you're the first in line to buy it. Now, if you don't want it, I'll buy it. <clears throat> I'll be the redeemer. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll be the redeemer <clears throat> because everyone knows in town knows she's Elimelech's widow, and you're responsible in the Leveret law. You're responsible to redeem her. You're responsible to to buy the land and marry Naomi, or at least take care of Naomi, feed her, provide for her. And so the guy, Mister No Name, says, "Yeah." I want the land, and I don't mind having another mouth to feed. She's an older widow. She's not going to be around much longer. She probably doesn't eat much. So sure, no problem. I'll buy the land. Boaz says, cool. Oh, and by the way, Mr. No Name, when you you buy the land, you also get the girl. (laughs) You get a foreign girl, a younger girl with a mouth to feed. Oh, and also, by the way, you have to give her children because she is of childbearing age. And when she has a son that is born, he inherits the land. And Mr. No Name, <laughs> look at verse 6. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Go ahead and take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, Boaz is is not dishonest, but he is shrewd here. He didn't start with, hey, I want to marry Ruth. <laughs> he just said, hey, do you want some land? And, and he, he, he put the guy right where he wanted him. And he was able to, to work out this deal. And so Mr. No Name refuses to buy this. Now, there's a reason why he is Mr. No Name. In the Hebrew, it's interesting, in the Hebrew, the, the narrator uses a, a phrase. He's, it, it's literally poloni almoni. It's a, it's a rhyming word, poloni almoni, which literally means in Hebrew, Mr. So-and-so. That's his description of this man. Why does he describe this man this way? Because this man is not an honorable man. Mr. Poloni Almoni doesn't fulfill his leveret responsibilities. He doesn't marry Ruth as a widow who needs a husband and needs children. He just is selfish and wants the property thinking it would increase his own inheritance. But he realizes by marrying Ruth, he would get nothing out of the deal. So the narrator literally leaves his name out. Now, you think about, as, as we get into the chapter, the implications of that. And we'll see that in a moment. This is not a compliment by the narrator, but it is a scathing commentary on this man's failure to fulfill his responsibility. And so this first redeemer is a failure. Now, there is a second redeemer. In 3.11, in chapter 3, verse 11, Boaz says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. I will marry you. I love your proposal. Uh, For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And then in verse 12, he says, And now it is true that I am a redeemer. So Boaz is our second redeemer in this chapter. And he's in total contrast to Mr. No Name. Total contrast because he, because Mr. No Name is responsible to marry Ruth and to be a kinsman redeemer for her and Naomi. 
and he shirks his responsibility. And Boaz, who is not obligated because he's actually second in line, does take the responsibility, does express the hesed of God to Ruth and and Naomi. He's motivated by love, not by self-interest. God's providential hesed is being revealed through Boaz's hesed towards these two women. And Boaz shows us that God's providence is not dark forever. But it brightens in his perfect timing. Naomi had two sons who for 10 years were married to these two women. And in 10 years, no children were born. Ten years of being without her husband as a widow. Ten years without being without children. And then they go back to Bethlehem. And six months more. And still God's providence, although a little brighter, is still dark. But here in chapter 4 we begin to see God's providence brighten. And in your lives it does the same. God's providence brightens even when it seems darkest to you because God's providence is always good. It's always designed for your good. John Murray says this. He says, every precious work of Christ towards his people, said Ralph Erskine, carries something more great and precious in the bosom of it than we are capable at the time of understanding. We see this frequently in the lives of God's saints. Think of Joseph and his long night of suffering. What a contrast between prison and the palace. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. And then the, the deliverance. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions. It is the timing of providence. The timing of providence that is so often wonderful. It is the seasonableness of a mercy that gives such value to it. The engine of God's providence can bring in such a happy train, a train of happy consequences. I love, I love that one part where it says, it is the timing of providence that is so often wonderful. And now, in this story, God's providence brightens. The entire town, read, read with me in verse 7. So, in verse 6, the, the Mr. No-Name, Mr. Poloni, Almoni says, no, no, I don't want to. I don't want her, I don't want the land, I don't want Naomi. You take it all. And so, verse 7, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. I I could just see Mr. Poloni Almoni walking home with one sandal. It's It's just a picture in my mind, just kind of stumbling along with one sandal. And so he takes off his sandal and they give it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are 
witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I have bought her. I've bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. What a, what a kind act. Look what's behind Boaz's desire to, to redeem these two women, redeem Naomi, and, and to keep the family name going. You are witnesses this day. And here, here is the kind providence of God. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the women, the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel, they're, pray, they're blessing Ruth, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Apathra and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Oh, now God's providence is brightening. The entire town is elated that all this has taken place. They're rejoicing. They're, this is their response to what has happened. They, they bless Boaz and they bless Ruth. Now, throughout Ruth, I don't know if you've noticed, but throughout the book of Ruth, God acted providentially through prayer, through the prayer of ble- and blessing. In, in 1.8, and I'll just, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Well, Naomi blesses Ruth and God makes it happen. She does have Blessing in the house of her husband. Provision and marriage come to Ruth. Look in, in two, uh, verse, verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz blesses Ruth and God makes it happen. Provision comes. In 2.20, Naomi blesses Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi blesses Boaz, and this older man finds a wife, and God makes it happen. In 3.10, Boaz again blesses Ruth. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Boaz blesses Ruth, and God gives her a husband, him. In 4.11, the town blesses Boaz and Ruth. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I'm sorry. Oops. In verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord 
make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Epaphra and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, where children are born, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. The town blesses Boaz and Ruth, and God makes it happen. And then in the very last, the end of the book, in 414, we see the last blessing. Then the women said to Naomi after Ruth had had a baby, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to Him. The women bless God's providential plan one they cannot possibly understand, one that has eternal and powerful implications, not just for this family, not just for Israel when King David is born, but for all of humanity. God faithfully works, providentially works through prayer. It's why we pray. This book, time and again, the prayer of blessing comes and God works. And so this second redeemer is an answer to God. The prayer that Naomi prayed for Ruth. And then there's a third redeemer. And his name is Obed. Ruth has a baby. Look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. Now, she had been barren for 10 years in the land of Moab. And now she comes to the land of Judea, to Bethlehem, the house of bread. And what does God do? He gives her a husband. And now the Lord gave her conception. And she bears a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who's not left you this day. The end of chapter 1, Naomi tries to change her name to bitter because she went away full and she came back empty. Now, God has mercifully given Ruth a child and Ruth and Naomi now have this new redeemer as the women pray in, in, this, in this passage. He shall be to you a restorer of life. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Boaz marries Ruth. Ruth has a baby. Obed is born. And Obed is a redeemer. Why? Because Obed is the young boy who carries on the family name. He's the young boy who made Naomi's life no longer empty but full because she has a grandchild. And her husband's legacy goes on. God has redeemed this serious problem of not continuing the family name. Now, on a natural level, this is wonderful. Obed is born. The family name goes on. Naomi is no longer empty. She's got a grandson. Ruth is is married. She has a husband. But Obed is more than just a happy occasion Much more than a happy 
occasion. Obed has certainly redeemed Naomi's grief. Listen, Naomi lost her husband, and she lost her two sons, and she came back a broken woman. But God turned her bitterness to joy through Obed. The house of bread, Bethlehem, sees a baby born, and Naomi is once again provided for. But Obed is more than that. You see, because of Obed, yes, he's a redeemer for Naomi. There's a fourth redeemer that comes because of Obed. Look at verse 18. Look at verse 17 for a second. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Now, isn't that interesting? The women of the town are naming Ruth's child. How'd you like it? If I came into the hospital room, started naming your children, Yeah, Obed. (laughs) But there's there's something behind that. You see, it's interesting that when Naomi got back to Bethlehem, she said, don't call me Mara. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I'm changing my name because I'm bitter. I'm bitter because God has made me bitter and God has made me empty. The women of the town are supposed to call her a different name. But now here they're naming this child. And they call him Obed. And the, what does Obed mean in Hebrew? It means servant. And he is, as we will see in the genealogy, the greatest servant of all is coming. The one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's a much bigger picture and view, and that picture is on vivid display in this boring genealogy. Verse 18, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. I can name one of your kids Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. I would not name my child Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Genealogies have little in the way of intriguing and gripping prose. (laughs) But the narrator concludes his story in just this way. Now, we have the privilege of reading the whole Bible. Remember, this, this narration, this story originally told, was told orally. And the people who would have heard this story and later even read this story after it was written would not be aware of New Testament times. They would not be aware of what happens after Jesse fathering David. Now, this comes to, what, what does verse 1 begin In the days when the judges, verse 1 of chapter 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. In the days when the judges ruled, there was no king in Israel. And in the the time of judges, (laughs) 
The very final verse of Judges, which is one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And now, through the providence of God, through the dark providence of God, the very last line of Ruth, and Jesse fathered David, Israel's greatest king. Look how God, in his providence, sets this up. We have the privilege of reading the whole Bible and knowing the whole story. And we see a genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, which I would hope familiar to us all. Very much the same as this genealogy. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerar by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, who's the harlot, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And then go down to verse 15 of chapter 1. And Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. All at the beginning of the book of Ruth, we come to the fourth Redeemer. Centuries later, another baby is born in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ, who in Matthew 1.21 says he came to save his people from their sins. This is our gospel. This is what we, this is what has changed our lives. The dark providence of God in the beginning of Ruth. At the end of Judges, when everybody did what was right in their own eyes, the dark providence of God had in mind all along that King David would be born in Bethlehem. Obed would be born in Bethlehem. And then the greatest king of all would be born in Bethlehem. The genealogy in Ruth's book climaxes the providential plan of God in the lives of these ordinary people, Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, Obed and is the father of Jesse and so on. We see what Ruth is all about. Chapter four brings to a close the story of God's providence in the lives of these three ordinary people, but it does not close the chapter of providence in our lives. God's providence is at work in your life right now at this very moment. It may be a wonderful and delightful providence as we've seen at the end of this chapter, or it might be a darker providence as we saw at the beginning in chapter one, but God is working his providential purposes in you, in us, and not for just us alone, 
but for the good of others as well. As we see, God's providence in Ruth wasn't just for Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, but for us today. They went through their story to help us along in our story. Whatever your providential story is right now. Sinclair Ferguson said this about God's providence. He said, we must never limit the purposes of God as though he were doing only one thing at a time in only one person and one place at a time. Here and now in me. Sometimes we can be deeply puzzled by the circumstances of our lives. What is God doing? Too frequently we focus attention on ourselves as though the answer lay within our individual lives, as if we were the central key to interpreting the plan of God of the entire universe. God is intimately aware of us and deeply concerned for our welfare. But His providential purposes, which include me, do not center on me as though as though what he is doing in me could be isolated from everything he is doing. No, God's purposes crisscross and zigzag and cross-fertilize one believer's life with that of an unbeliever or one believer's experience with another believer. He is always simultaneously and contemporaneously doing several things in several lives. Here's the point. It's not just about us when God's providence is working. We can't go home and sit in our room isolated thinking, what is God doing to me? No, what is God doing for the world? What is God doing for my church? What is God doing for my relationships? God is at work providentially, not just in you individually, but in all of us. It's not just about us. John Murray said this. Listen, providence has always always has more than you in mind. John Murray said this, we may not be able to understand our present condition or sufferings because God's providence works on a grand scale. Job had no idea that he was the focus of a battle between God and Satan. God was, as it were, showing off a trophy of his grace. Job thought that his life was useless. At the very moment when he thought all was lost, he was doing the greatest thing of all. He was glorifying God. It was 22 years after he was thrown into the pit that Joseph discovered why. God wants you to be encouraged today by Ruth's story to tell you that his providence is working in your life for your good, for your personal good, because he cares for you individually and he cares for you personally. But it's not just about you. And you don't know all of the pieces of the puzzle. You're looking for the pieces of the puzzle. Marilyn does jigsaw puzzles every Christmas. And every Christmas there is one piece that is missing. And we tear up pillows from the sofa. We look under the sofa. We're looking all around. And if the grandkids are there, we know they've hidden it somewhere. There's always one piece of the puzzle missing. And it is is just, it drives you mad. Because you want to see that puzzle completed. And we feel the same way about God's providence in our lives. When is he going to complete the puzzle? It's been 22 years. Isn't that long enough? 
Maybe not. Maybe not. Sinclair Ferguson helps us end with this. He says, the story that began for Naomi at a time when there was no king in Israel became a day when there was no bread in Bethlehem and then a dark night in which there were no children in her family. Now her covenant-keeping, all-sufficient God, Yahweh and El Shaddai, has given her a grandson and within a few generations will give Israel its greatest king and eventually humanity's savior. He is a faithful God who does all things well. Let's pray. Lord, you are a faithful God, and you do all things well. And Lord, I pray, I pray right now for those who, who are living in a dark providence, that you would give them eyes of faith to see, that you would sustain them by your grace and strength. And Lord, that they would be able to not just endure this providence, but they would be able to shine in this providence as they await your brightening providence. Lord, thank you for this book. Thank you for speaking to us through this book. Lord, may your name be glorified in the lives of every member of Grace Church as we, as we accept and embrace your providence in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.